Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 3rd, 2019. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So we are still here in Las Vegas at CinemaCon, the annual gathering of movie theater owners. Studios come here to show off their slates for the next year plus and we just got out of the disney presentation this is probably the most anticipated presentation of this year's convention and uh we we were really wondering if they were going to show footage from star wars and avengers uh they did on one of those fronts um (laughs) well they they also showed one very 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 quick shot of star wars of finn ray Chewie, and poe getting into the millennium falcon cockpit but that was it so that was yeah. That was literally all we saw, and they were like, "Sorry, no Star Wars footage." So. I was taking notes, and I totally missed that. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people were wondering how. Oh, we should probably say this up front that they did show footage from Avengers Endgame, like probably five or six minutes. And I know some people want to go into that movie completely clean, so we're going to put that at the end of this podcast, mm-hmm. along with our uh, th- what they ended on the finale, which was a twenty-minute segment. Or 15 minutes? Uh, 17 minutes. 17 minute segment of Toy Story 4. So we'll put those at the end of this broadcast. So if you don't want to watch those or listen to them, you don't have to. But I would say that 
both of them are from the first 20 minutes of the movies. Yeah. So it's, it's, there really isn't much in terms of spoilers, especially in uh, Avengers. You know, it's most of that is in the trailer. But okay, let's, uh, a lot of people were wondering how Disney was going to talk about Fox mm-hmm. with this presentation. And this presentation opened up with uh, footage of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, which began this montage that interspliced Fox footage and Disney footage together, one happy family. You know, you'd see clips of, like, Simpsons next to Guardians, next to Avatar, next to Star Wars, mm-hmm. next to Deadpool. Uh, what do you think uh, the message was here? I mean, the message that they're trying to send is, we are one big happy family, everything is going to be fine. Uh, Except but, for those people who lost their jobs. Exactly. So it's it's a little hard to swallow, seeing stuff like yeah. that. You know, everything cut into this, this, like, sizzle reel where it's, like, you know, sweeping dramatic music and everything is supposed to be great. But, you know, this, this is, a, this is a, a huge shift in Hollywood and they're treating it as just like, oh, it's like this little thing. We just like picked up a new friend. We got our friends yeah. at Fox. And it's like, yeah, you absorbed an entire story. You know, it's, it's a lot different than they're making it out to be. Yeah. Although, I don't know. It was exciting seeing, you know, Alien next to Star Wars next to, you know, it was, I don't know. As a fan of films, I, I do understand how this is running as a, a business kind of, as an industry thing. It, kind of sucks but yeah. uh i think many people would have been very exciting seeing the sizzle rail mm-hmm. um okay so alan horn uh came out and he's kind of the head of the the film and uh he he made like he made a big pitch for fox searchlight because you know they're, they're celebrating 25 years i think so yeah and you know they've won Dozens of awards. They've, you know, they, they basically showed the sizzle reel showcasing what they have done. And it's, it really seems like Disney, I mean, Disney's very happy with this acquisition of Fox as a whole, but it seems like they are really happy to get their hands on Fox Searchlight. Yeah, for award stuff in particular, I think, you know, I think they said something like they've won 39 Oscars or something over the past 25 years. So I'm sure, you know, that Disney's looking to have that, that prestige in the bank as well. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Uh, they did. At the beginning of this presentation, they were like, "Sorry, guys, there's not going to be any Star Wars here," um, which I think is funny because they didn't like they they were kind of doing things in a, in a, in an order, and you'd think they would get to the start, but they wanted to kind of temper our expectations yeah. early on. We're going to get to see that next week with Celebration, anyways. Uh, they did go into Endgame. We're going to skip that for now. We'll get back to it. Um, then they went into Fox, mm-hmm. which was a surprise. Mm-hmm. We didn't. This was uh, pitched as a, a Walt Disney Pictures presentation. Fox was not supposed to be here, um, and they showed us a bunch of uh, Fox stuff, starting with Dark Phoenix, um, the Simon Kinberg X Men film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed us. Uh, it was kind of like a trailer ish. Yeah, extended trailer, I suppose. Yeah, we got to see like the X Men going into space to save you know some stranded astronauts, mm-hmm. and that's how. Um, Gene is engulfed with, you know, space whatever energy it is. or something. Yeah. Yes, and you know, going through like Gene changing, losing control, bad things happening, it makes her feel good. You know, mm-hmm. the, the whole storyline that we've seen from the comics and already seen before in the movies. Yes. Um, what did you think of this? Uh, well, there, oh, I, I do want to highlight there was a cool shot. I'm not sure if this is in the trailers of. Magneto like controlling like a bunch of machine guns like in the yeah, air. It yeah, is. yeah, it's a it's a really good yeah. shot. Um, what did you think of the footage? Um, you know, I'm kind of lukewarm on the X Men franchise as a whole right now. I, I feel like even though they're bringing in Simon Kinberg, who's never directed one of these movies before, he's been like a 
a, a dominant voice in this franchise for a long time, and I would just prefer for them to wipe the slate clean. And it seems like they they might be doing that afterwards because yeah. whoever came out and introduced this footage said something about this is the perfect epic send off for our X Men series, which to me sort of implies like. This is the last time that you're going to see this iteration of these characters, you know. And he also said, like, Xavier needs to get the X-Men together for one final right. mission, right. too. Which also sends us a signal that this could be the last yeah. in this franchise, um, or this series. But, like, as, in of terms it. of the actual footage itself, um, you know, it, it looks fine. It looks better than X-Men Apocalypse, because that movie had, like, a, a really cheap look to it. And this doesn't look cheap. Uh, yeah. Like, the... The visual effects, which is what a lot of people come to these movies for, looked pretty decent, uh, you know, yeah. to my eye. Um, what did you think about it? I don't know. I, I feel like the, the, you know, I was a huge fan of the X-Men comics in the 90s, and most of the stuff I was reading was X-Men at that time. And, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga was one of the highlights of that, and I, I feel like I should be super excited for mm-hmm. this, and for some reason I'm not. Maybe it's I've heard about production problems and, you know... Maybe I'm more excited about the X-Men finally getting to be in the MCU. And does this really matter? It's right. kind of like, why would I watch season two of Punisher when it's canceled? You know, it, sure. it kind of feels like that, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's definitely a little bit of that. It'll be interesting to see if there's enough fans of this, you know, of, of um, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender yeah. and Jennifer Lawrence to actually come out and make this like a, a huge worthwhile thing for Disney. I mean, they've obviously sunk the money into... Uh, spending marketing campaign trailers, all that stuff. So that they're not just going to dump this on Disney Plus, but um, I don't know. Yeah, and, and there was um, it was interesting. They put this timeline on the screen that showed all the Walt Disney Pictures releases for the next year, and it was already like this crowded timeline of logos, you know, uh, from left to right. And then they added the Fox films to that mix. It was like. A jumble of... It was yeah. a mess. There's a lot of stuff. And I think they said, like, we might be shuffling some of these release dates around. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I guess, expect to see that pretty soon. So, Fox also were uh, hyping up the... What is the film called? Stuber? Yes. And this is a film that premiered at South by Southwest. We did cover it. Actually, we're quoted in the trailer that they showed here. Mm-hmm. Meredith Borders uh, had a quote in here. This is the story with uh, Dave Bautista and Camille... Nagiani, uh, yes. and uh, he plays an Uber driver. Dave Bautista plays a police officer who needs to take over the Uber car for, yeah, for his purposes. I yeah, guess. He, he's like trying to solve a case, and he can't drive because he has like eye surgery or something like that. Which I don't think they showed in the trailer, but that's the reason that oh. he gets into an Uber is because he can't drive himself. Yeah, and they have this kind of relationship where I, I feel like Kumail is playing like the weak. One, the non-heroic, and he's kind of being forced to go outside of his comfort zone yeah. in this situation. Uh, it, I don't know, it looks like a lot of fun. I know people liked it at South by. What did you think? Yeah, the, the I thought finish? it looked really funny. I'm, I'm excited to see the dynamic that these two have together. There's a really funny moment where uh, Batista's character is fighting with somebody and uh, Kumail Nanjiani's character Stu is like standing there with a gun trained on them, and and Batista's like shoot, you know, you know, pull the trigger or whatever, and he tries and can't, so he just <laughs> throws the handgun at the bad guy, but the bad guy catches it in midair, hits Batista in the head, and then throws it back at Kumail and hits him in the head with it. And I just thought that was such a fun little moment that I've never really seen that play out in the in any sort of filmed medium before. So I, I was very entertained. 
I, I like that we live in a world where Dave Bautista is becoming a, yeah. <laughs> a big star. Yeah. Um, what we were really shocked to see, we didn't have this on our, our list of expectations at all. It was uh, footage, like a trailer or something from yeah. Ford versus Ferrari. And this is a movie from James Mangold. And it starts who? Matt Damon. And Christian Bale. Yeah, and a bunch of actually a ton like an ensemble cast. Like they had this whole montage of that. Basically, he's getting hired to put together this uh, to basically create a car, the fastest car ever known to man, to win this race, like the Le Mans race or something like that. It's it's like a um, it's a period piece. I think it's based on a true story. Yeah, it and is. Um, yeah, it's it's like a classic sort of racing story, you know, like movies like Days of Thunder and all that, like NASCAR movies. But this is like, a, it's a different type of racing. It's like more, it's not NASCAR at all, but it's Le Mans or Le Mans or however you pronounce yeah. that. It's it's like a super high speed stuff, long distances. Damon at one and point. And you race at night. Yeah, Damon at one point says, you know, it's, it's not about speed. It's about survival. You're, you know, you're going to get exhausted in the car. You're going to get hungry in the car. They're trying to figure out like ways to design the fastest vehicle for their team to win this this racing competition yeah and uh i don't know there's a lot of cool moments here it, it definitely seems like one of those ensemble cast true story uh a fun move like it, it seems like it i mean it might even have some like award potential like, yeah. i feel like there's some like performance stuff that they were kind of showcasing the yeah game. and and bale is doing his what sounds like his normal accent so it's not like he's it's not a transformative yeah. performance in the way that a lot of his other stuff has been, um, but it's still really cool to see him and Matt Damon share the screen together. There's a lot of like uh, tight polos and cool sunglasses, and you know, like the fashion is kind of interesting. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks to me like a, sort of like a classic Fox movie, like something that would come out in November and be in the awards conversation, and as like an alternative to a lot of the the big temple stuff that might be coming out around that time. Yeah. And then uh, they switched gears to Disney. Sean Bailey <laughs> no came out. Intended. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, they were promoting Aladdin, the Guy Ritchie live action adaptation of the Disney animated classic that you know stars Will Smith and uh, a bunch, a couple other people. Uh, th- this has some songs by the La La Land songwriters, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know everybody's been kind of making fun of how Will Smith looks as the genie. And they showed a scene that started with uh, basically them going into the cave mm-hmm. to retrieve the lamp. And Aladdin and his monkey Abu. Abu. Yes. And uh, you know th- this cave looks epic. It looks big. And uh, they're told not to you know be tempted by any of the treasures. And they're climbing this big pillar yeah. to get the lamp. And of course the monkey grabs for a gem, and yes. it, it all hell breaks loose. But eventually Aladdin get, gets out. Uh, I mean, uh, Aladdin gets the lamp. He rubs the lamp. Uh, Will Smith's genie comes out. And at first he, like, looks unlike the genie we've seen. Mm-hmm. Because he's, like, dark and shadow. And he's, like, talking like Batman almost. Yeah, I think that that moment is in the trailer. Or one of the most recent trailers. Um, yeah. And then it just goes right into Never Had a Friend Like Me. The song that is so well known from the original movie. Um, what did you make of this version of the song? Because it's, like, Will Smith going full Will Smith singing the song do you yeah. know the the original one well and, and how did you think it compared to this one i mean i know it as well as anybody who grew up with disney classics and mm-hmm. are in the parks the theme parks all the time and hear it like you know yeah. in parades and whatever but uh the only thing that really hit me as like very different is there's a part where 
Will Smith starts rapping. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. Uh, There's like some beatboxing and a rap breakdown yeah. at one point. It's like very, you know, this is exactly what you would expect from a Will Smith genie. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was actually, I'm, I've been kind of very cynical and skeptical of this movie. And I was very impressed by this musical sequence. It's kind of crazy. It was, it's almost presented in like a one shot where like. It, it really is an adaptation of the animated mm-hmm. sequence where, like, things are just coming in. Like, Yeah, it's like little vignettes of, of yeah. like, crazy scenarios where Will Smith's genie is, like, taking on the personas of different characters and, like, interacting with Aladdin and these, you know, these yeah. big dancers and fireworks going off. It's he's, like the He's whole making thing. Abu uh, play the drums yeah. and he's his giant hand is now puppeteering Aladdin mm-hmm. and, like, it's this real, really epic, like, sequence. Uh what did you think overall? I mean, uh, a few words in the song are changed, and like you mentioned, you know, there are yeah. a few of those sort of Will Smith style additions. But overall, it, it sort of um, it didn't have like the the actual singing performance didn't have the same energy that Robin Williams brought to it in terms of like the up tempo. It seemed like yeah. it a little bit slowed down, but the visuals were you know out of this world in terms of like just being big and bold and like this is. You know, they have to go big and bold to yeah. capture those vignette sort of sequences from the original. And it looks like they did about as good as, yeah. uh, you know, a, well, I think as they, good as they could do. I think if you look at Beauty and the Beast, and I know Beauty and the Beast was a huge financial success, but in terms of it capturing the animated uh, sequences, like the BR guest, I feel like it failed mm-hmm. miserably. And this actually feel, feels like. Um, I'm not sure it warrants that it needs. It's it's um you don't know if it, it to exist its justifies purpose, its yeah. purpose, but at least it looked good. Unlike the movie stuff, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it ended with like a like a kind of sizzle reel of clips, which we saw like a Bigfoot chase through the city, very Guy Ritchie in style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but are you any more excited or any less excited after seeing this? Um. I feel maybe a little bit more confused after seeing this. I feel like everything I'd seen so far sort of led me to believe that this is going to be essentially a shot-for-shot kind of thing. And that's basically what it is, but I just... The more I see and the more samey it is, the more I'm just like, why? Why Why does this need to happen? But I guess, you know, putting that aside, maybe it'll be <laughs> a, a, an entertaining time at the movies? I don't know. Um, I will say the, the genie, you know, in those pictures... And the early looks at Will Smith yeah. with the blue and all of that, it looked laughable, and it didn't strike me as odd at all in context. Did, did he? Did his yeah, look it, bother you at all or, or seem strange to you at all? It doesn't. Yeah. Not in, like, live action on the big screen. For some reason, it, yeah. it just didn't. And, and also, it, it helps that he's being kind of caricatured into, mm-hmm. like, all these different shapes and things. Yeah, like, he's constantly so, moving and, yeah, like, It's very animated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of ridiculous why we call these live-action adaptations, <laughs> yeah. especially the next one, The Lion King. We got to see a whole scene from this. This is the scene where Simba wakes up early in the morning, and then he steps all over his dad and wakes him up because his dad had promised him that he could go on patrol with him that day. Mm-hmm. And he brings Simba up to like that big rock overlooking the savanna and basically tells him that, uh, you know, everything that light touches that you can see mm-hmm. is... is my responsibility and one day it's going to be yours this is almost word for word from the original movie yeah um yeah so you've seen this scene and um it also has a scene where the, Zazu um shows up and gives them a recap of what's going on and they kind of scare him mm-hmm. 
Um, but uh, I feel like, you know, we, we had seen that trailer, that initial trailer, which didn't really have them talking or mm-hmm. anything like this. Now that we're seeing them talking, it still looks like a Disney nature film. And I'm actually kind of excited about this. I know, especially this being a scene that is almost word for word, mm-hmm. what it was in the animated film. I'm not sure it needs to exist again. Yeah. But... It's interesting, and I feel like it's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like instead of, you know, whereas Aladdin is like, you're being uh, almost hit over the head with the visual effects, this is like, it seems more subtle because every frame of the entire movie is a visual effect in The Lion King. It's all fake, but it looks, I mean, there's a shot of antelopes leaping through the the planes or whatever that 100% just looks like it comes out of a documentary yeah. and the lines are like walking around in the background and you're like holy shit that, I mean this looks fully real so I think I um, would argue that it all looks fully real yeah to me, the, but. I, I just think that you know this movie it justifies its own existence in in terms of the technology and yeah. like at least you're seeing you know this amazing visual spread and it's not crazy stuff like fireworks going off and Will Smith dancing around. You know, it's things that are supposed to be believable in in the real world. So I think there's more of a reason to be excited about The Lion King than there is for to be excited about Aladdin. But that's just me. I don't know. It is weird that there isn't one cohesive kind of ideology or vision for these Disney animated or live action adaptations of these animated films. There's not like... Not that there's like a Marvel style guide, but there is kind of like they feel kind mm-hmm. of like of the same universe. And yeah. I, I, not that these take place in the same universe, but it, they really do feel like different filmmakers are tackling in very different ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is good and bad, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, next up was Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. They showed us kind of this behind the scenes featurette mm-hmm. that kind of give us a look at the story. Uh, What is the story here? So, uh, the movie poses the question, is Maleficent good enough to be Aurora's mother? And I did not see uh, Maleficent, did you? (laughs) I did not. Okay, wow, yeah, so neither of us. So, I mean... And I'm a big Disney fanatic, so that's a... Yeah, this is just one that I've missed. Um, But it looks like, uh, from what we can tell, Maleficent and Aurora, you know, they love each other, but there's this big divide between them, and uh, Prince Philip comes to ask Aurora to marry him, and that sort of kicks off the action of this movie. Um, Aurora and Maleficent get invited to the castle to meet the king and queen. Uh, the queen is played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and there's like a, a big um, rivalry dynamic going yeah. on between Pfeiffer and Angelina Jolie, who is back to play Maleficent again. Um, and the queen has ulterior motives of yes. why she wants the marriage to happen, and we see this whole scene where Maleficent finds out about that and kind of gets angry and yeah, yeah. kind of she, flips the table. She tries to like take over the mother role, and and Maleficent is not happy about yeah. that. So. Um, I don't know, like, you know, visually it's very dark and moody and, you know, there's dark shots of a thorny forest at night and all of the kind of stuff that you would expect from, as like a visual continuation from the original movie, from what I've, I've seen of it. Um, what did you think about the overall? Are you like... I don't know, is this, this is not a film that's kind of like on my excitement meter, yeah. so I, it might be because I haven't seen the first mm-hmm. one, so I... I'm not sure this made me any more or less excited. Yeah, it didn't wow me enough where I'm like, holy crap, i got to go watch the original right now so I can catch up and, and be ready for this movie. But yeah. um, maybe people who've seen the first film will be really looking forward to this. I don't know. So after that, they showed us 17 minutes of Toy Story 4. But before we talk about that, let's rewind and let's get back. Let's get to Avengers Endgame because... I feel like uh, people probably want to 
learn about that without hearing about 17 minutes yes. from Toy Story 4. <laughs> so some of you might want to stop there. So, But uh, anyways, they showed a never-before-seen glimpse of Avengers Endgame. And this kind of starts with... Um, so we're going to describe this and give a reaction. But sure. this is from the, I think, first few minutes of the movie. It seems like it, yes. Uh, Captain Marvel has arrived, as we saw at the end of Captain Marvel... And she basically says that she's going to g- go and kill Thanos. Mm-hmm. And the, the the team are basically trying to talk her into working with them, the yeah. Avengers, to accomplish this task. Uh, Nebula says that she knows where Thanos is because she was around all the time when Thanos would talk about his plan and what he would do after the plan. Mm-hmm. And Rocket shows like this hologram of the galaxy and where the planet they think he is. Yeah, she says, Nebula says that uh, whenever, she would always ask him where they would go when his plan was complete, and his answer was always the same, and it was a place called the Garden, and I, I think it's uh, Don Cheadle's um, Rhodey makes some joke about how, oh great, Thanos has a, like a retirement home or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, as you were mentioning, Rocket, you know, sort of shows that on, you know, this this hologram where like, Two days earlier, a massive power surge in the galaxy happened on this this distant planet. So that's where Thanos has, has showed up. Yeah, so they make a plan to go there. They're, they want to get the stones so they could potentially fix everything. Yeah. And so, but um, they're like, you know, why would this time be any different than last time? Yeah. And Captain Marvel basically says, this time you have me. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of badass. Yeah. Um, so, and then we see the scene from the end of that that latest uh, that last trailer where Thor stands up and grabs the hammer th- through the air and says, "I like this one." Yeah, so, yeah. We and, cut and Cap says, "Let's go get this son of a bitch." It's like this really big. Yeah, the music moment. swells and yeah, the Avengers theme swells. We cut to uh, the spaceship, the Benatar. I, I think, think so. Yeah, flying with the Avenger that whole Avengers team. Rocket Rocket asks, "Who here hasn't?" Uh, gone to space yet and like most of them raise their hands and he basically warns them against throwing up in his ship yeah and uh they jump to i guess like light speed speed, like jump yeah whatever whatever they whatever they call it in the marvel universe but yeah so what did you think of this footage uh i'm excited about it i loved the the post-credits scene of captain marvel where it shows her interacting with them and then sort of like reappearing after the pager and all that and just to see an extended version of that uh, interaction. I, I'm very excited about it. I have no idea. I, I thought it was an interesting choice for them to show uh, basically what amounted to a scene of a bunch of people standing around in a room talking to theater yeah. exhibitors who are presumably wanting to see some of the bigger moments of the movie yeah. in order to get excited enough to... But, you know, this movie's so big, they know it's going to be oh, huge. It's so going to be huge. It's not like they need convincing, but um, it was Didn't just Didn't it just interesting... break, like, the 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 one-day ticket, pre- ticket pre-sales record <laughs> yes. or something? Like, it slaughtered everything. So, yeah, in, in terms of, like, the, the scene that they chose um, to show here, I thought it was an interesting choice. But I, I am excited about seeing it. What did you think about it? Um... You know, it, it didn't make me any more excited or any less excited. I, fe- I, I feel like I kind of know where they're headed with this. It was cool to see the interactions of this group, especially with Captain Marvel there. And that's great. I, I just want to see them get to uh, the garden, yeah. I guess. is uh, I'm not sure if the planet has a name or whatever. And I want to see that confrontation. That's what I'm excited for. And I'm, I'm, I'm Friday. I'm seeing some foot- 20 minutes of footage from the Russo brothers uh, for the junket. So uh, hopefully I'll have more to report then. 
But um, yeah, no, it was very cool. I, I I love I love all these characters. I love the humor. I love um, it's. I think it's very interesting the expectations of everybody that like they're gonna go and fight Thanos and get the stones back and correct everything. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. I mean, it seems like it would be too <laughs> right. easy because that's yeah. what everybody thinks is going to happen. And as we saw in Infinity War, they're looking to subvert people's expect- expectations. So, uh, for sure, I, I'm yeah, I'm curious to see with all of the weight of 21 movies or whatever on this film's shoulders how they're going to be able to deliver something that um, that surprises people. So I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah. So let's talk about Toy Story 4. They had. Uh, the filmmaker was it Josh yeah, Cooley? Uh, I think no, I think it was um, Jonas Rivera. Jonas Rivera, yeah, Deuce, who had who has done he's produced stuff like Inside Out, I think. Yeah, and uh, so he presented 17 minutes of this movie. We got to see the first 17 minutes of Toy Story 4. I think. Well, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what your opinion or what your expectations of Toy Story 4 are, but I think most of the Slash Film staff is kind of cynical on this and oh, yeah. doesn't think there needs to be a fourth film at all. Like, third one kind of bookended it in a really great way. And even Jonas said up on stage that, like, he acknowledged that. And he was like, we came up with a really good idea. And that idea is, what if we could take Woody out of this his regular world and put him into a situation where he is questioning his own purpose. Yeah. And then they showed us this this clip. Um, how should the opening we... of the movie. It's the first 17 minutes of the film, if we didn't say that. Yeah, so, so if you don't want to listen to the first 17 minutes, hear a brief, you know, yeah, recap of the first 17 minutes, then, you know, tune out now. But um, how should we recap this? It starts nine years ago with a well, flashback. Well, okay, Here, here's the thing. Let's just say what we thought about it in general and then get into the details so that way if okay. people are curious about what our thoughts but don't want to hear the beat by beat, then they can know yeah. that and then we'll get into it. Okay. So what did you think? I was actually very impressed by this one. Pixar knows how to do an opening of a movie and they knew how to get me to invest i had you know they got me to get to to care again and uh even though this is maybe an unnecessary another chapter to the story i like i'm in yeah (laughs) i i i don't know if i'm all the way in but i i have one foot in the door now whereas before i was on the i i was i was on the outside and my back was to the door but now now i have one foot in i i feel like um you know getting this movie seems to really want to get inside woody's head and explore some things um, in the way that he looks at the world, maybe in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, a little bit of the footage sort of felt like a rehash of the first Toy Story, where he's sort of on the outside looking in because of a new scenario. Obviously, in the first movie, it's the introduction of Buzz, but in this movie, it's uh, it's his relationship to Bonnie, uh, the new yeah. kid that, that he um, is serving and, and really cares a lot about. So... If the movie stays focused on Woody and and shows a growth trajectory for him that changes the character drastically from what we've seen before, then I think maybe it'll be all worth it in the end. But it really has to nail that for it to fully justify its existence, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about the the actual footage itself. Um, I guess this takes it starts off. Between Toy Story 2 and 3? Yeah, it says nine years ago. Nine years ago. So we get to see the scene where, where Bo Peep... They lose Bo Peep. Mm-hmm. They, t- they mention that in 3, like in one line. And we actually get to see the scene where basically 
Andy's sister says that she doesn't need Bo Peep anymore. Yeah, so, there's uh, Bo Peep is part of a like a light fixture set, and somebody probably from Craigslist or something like yeah. that, you know, comes to their house and buys that uh, off of the family. And uh, Molly, Andy's sister, is like, "Oh yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I don't need this anymore." So Woody has one final goodbye with Bo Peep because there's like a rescue mission going on in the yeah. side. You know, a, a good classic sort yeah. of Pixar parallel storytelling kind of thing. Which is crazy because I don't even think that rescue mission is needed. I guess it adds, an ec- like it it subverts your expectations because you're worried about uh, RC, RC, who's like yeah. trapped in a gutter outside during a rainstorm. Yeah, but it, it has this really sad moment where Woody is saying goodbye to Bo Peep, and mm-hmm. uh, Bo Peep, uh, Woody is trying to save Bo Peep, but Bo Peep's basically like, "I'm not Andy," so. Yeah. yeah, she's very zen about the whole thing. She knows, you know, she says, like, it's time for the next kid. Like, I'm I'm ready to go, basically. And she actually, like, invites Woody to come with her. I mean, not in, in words, yeah. but her actions. She sort of, like, gestures for him. You know, she says something along the lines of, like, maybe, uh, you know, toys get lost all the time. Maybe implying that maybe you could get lost and come with me. Um, but then Woody hears Andy's voice asking where's Woody I don't know where he is so he knows that Andy still needs him so he knows that he can't leave with Bo Peep so it's that's what you're talking about I think is like that classic Pixar like tugging at the heartstrings like getting (laughs) you back in totally you think you're out and then we cut to the title sequence which I think correct me if I'm wrong but I think the first shot of that takes place like in the minutes that Toy Story 3 ends with Bonnie playing with the toys. Oh, it might be. I haven't seen the yeah. end of Toy Story 3 in so long. I need to go back and revisit that before yeah. this one. But. I, I might be wrong there, but like it, it shows her playing with the toys. It's it, you know, it, it, Some time has passed. Yeah. And we kind of learned that Bonnie has not played with Woody at all that week. Mm-hmm. He's been kind of in the closet, the t- toy closet, She's played with all the other toys, Bullseye and Jesse and, you know, the main characters. But uh, Woody's kind of getting the shaft. And he, uh, I think one of the toys kind of, like, questions him about it. And Woody's, oh, everything's fine, but you could tell it really yeah, is. And that's what I was talking about where it sort of seems like a little bit of a rehash. You yeah. know, like when, when Buzz came on the scene, all the other toys were sort of questioning Woody in that same kind of way. Um, and it seems like he's he's reliving a little bit of that moment, but he does really care about Bonnie. Yeah. You can tell that he has like a, he's he's genuinely worried about her. And the whole thing in the first few minutes is that she goes off to kindergarten, the uh, kindergarten her first day of kindergarten orientation, technically, because there's like a week between orientation and the first day. So she goes to kindergarten, and Woody wants to go with her, but there's this new character called the mayor who is a, a female doll that is sort of running things in Bonnie's room, and she doesn't want. Woody to go. Um, she thinks that that Bonnie can handle the situation on her own, but Woody is is worried about her and wants to. He sort of like sneaks away and in, stows her away in her bag. Yeah. So and she has a bag with like one of those clear fronts, so you can see Woody peeking out from the front. And she gets the gets left at the kindergarten, and uh, it, it's a very relatable first day at school where you're unsure, you know, yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't know anybody. Yeah. She's sort of, like, shy and, like, uh, you know, off to herself because she doesn't know what's going on. And uh, Bonnie is miserable. The kids don't care about her. Uh, Woody escapes to the backpack to help her out, gathers up some supplies from the uh With the arts trash and crafts, can. yes. Yeah. But it was in the trash can, a lot of stuff in, from the trash can. And basically... 
gets it to the table in front of her table without her knowing that mm-hmm. they did this. And so Bonnie plays arts and crafts. They're they're doing an arts and crafts thing, and she creates Forky. Yes, this character that we've seen in the trailers. Yes, um, and like after so she's very this completely like transforms her you know she was miserable at school but making this forky character has really you know brightened up her day and woody sees how happy she is and that makes him happy and he's excited about forky being a a source of joy for bonnie and then forky gets put in the backpack uh to come home and woody realizes that forky is alive (laughs) Um, and it's sort of like a weird moment. Like, there, it's almost like a jump scare moment. Yeah. Because Woody doesn't think that Forky is alive. And then all of a sudden, like, his eyeball sort of moves and then he, like, screams. So, it, it, yeah. this is what you're talking about. It sort of opens up a lot of questions, right? It the- does. It opens this whole can of worms of, like, you know, what is a toy? What can be alive? What is sentient? And, like, she just created this thing yeah. out of a popsicle or out of um, a, a, a spork and uh, some uh, like pipe, pipe hanger. Cleaners, like, yeah. yeah. Like, so. <laughs> Then they get back to the um, to home, room at the and house, she throws yeah. the bag in the room, and Woody kind of introduced the other toys to Forky, who, I don't know, it's kind of creepy, actually. Yeah, he just keeps saying the word trash over and over again, because he's made from trash, and he seems to, like have designs on going back to yeah. it's like it's like Mordor he just like wants to go back to the place that he came yeah. from so he just tries to find a trash can <laughs> and dives in um, to like return from whence he came kind of thing and the funny thing is he can barely walk because he's not even like made competently right so uh, Woody is kind of like explaining to the toys that Forky is kind of critical uh, to Bonnie getting adjusted to school so they need to make sure that nothing happens to them Right then, Forky, like, you know, tries to commit suicide into the, uh, <laughs> into the trash, trash can. can. Yeah. Uh, so that's where it ends, right? Yeah. So I think you can see where we are coming from and our feelings about this this footage. It, um... Oh, and they did mention that they're going on a road trip. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. That's so right. in between that orientation day and when kindergarten starts, Bonnie's going to go on this road trip, and I'm assuming Forky and some of the toys are coming along for that ride, and yes. that's how we get to that carnival and... And whatnot. Where that adventure brings us, I don't know. I obviously Bo Peep comes back into the mix and mm-hmm. we see the Mad Max version of her that we've seen advertised. Yep. Um I don't know. The, the the story to me, like I am in more from this opening seventeen minutes, but the like the pieces of the story I'm seeing from afar look like they don't look as smooth, like they don't look as well fine crafted of a story as Pixar usually has. Like, mm-hmm. I, like it really seems like usually with good Pixar films, it seems like everything is there for a reason, and it seems like, a, like a like they took five scripts and smashed them together. And I'm not like it could end up being good, but it doesn't seem like everything is saying the same theme. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about because most of Pixar's movies are um, seamless, even though yeah. they're written and rewritten and like, you know, there's tons of different iterations of the story and all of that, but by the time it gets to the final product, you can't, it, it always seems like this is how it was meant to be from the beginning, and I think you're right. I think from what we've seen with Toy Story 4, it feels a little bit more disjointed than some of the other Pixar stuff. Um, I'm wondering if all of that will play better you know, watching it all the way through instead of just seeing these pieces out of context. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, overall, I think there's enough here to 
at least get me interested in the movie, yeah. whereas before I was like actively angry that they were making it. Um, <laughs> I'm, now, I'm really curious of what Woody's journey is here. Yeah. What What is the lesson he's going to learn from all this? And also, what, how is reuniting with Bo Peep going to, what, what effect is that going to have on him? Like, does she want to go back to right. be with the toys? Does she not like, it seems like she's doing fine by herself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what kind of effect is that going to have on, you know, Woody's outlook and yeah. the world? And what does this do for the future of this franchise? Because it seemed like the door was closed after Toy Story 3 yeah. for everything other than little shorts and sort of fun things to keep the characters alive uh, from a, a franchise point of view that way. But is this going to reopen the door for, like, more Toy Story movies down the line? Or is this just, like, a definitive ending all these years later because they found one single story that they wanted to tell I don't know. Uh, we don't. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, we we don't know the answers to that, those questions. We will find out when that movie hits theaters later to the, the summer. Sometime, the summer, yes. Which I, I got to start getting going on the summer movie wager. I'm not I'm not sure. Do you think Toy Story Four is going to be number two? Yeah, I think so. A definite lock yeah. in number two. I got to figure that out. Okay, <laughs> we we have we've hit the end of this. We got to get going. We're going to see David Copperfield tonight, um, and yeah, so. Hopefully you are listening to this. Uh, you can. We're gonna uh, have a podcast uh, tomorrow for the Universal uh, or no for the Paramount panel. Yeah. We did Universal already, uh, so look forward to that. We'll have reactions from everything there. Maybe we'll get some Terminator. Oh, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Find out, see some first footage from that. So look forward to that. You find all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast slashfilm daily published every weekday. Sometimes multiple times a day <laughs> on uh, slashfilm.com and all the, you know the popular podcast apps. You can send us feedback, comments, you know whatever you want to Peter at slashfilm.com. And as always, head over to iTunes, give us a five star rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you in a few hours. <laughs>